Hello, this is Sandra Hindman, founder and president of Les Enlumineurs. We specialize in manuscripts, miniatures, historic jewelry, and other small-scale works of art from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Welcome, and please enjoy today's podcast. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a short episode aimed at clearing up a simple but persistent question among those interested in medieval art and medieval manuscripts. That is, what is the difference between being an author and being a scribe? Today, we think of the profession of author and writer as practically synonymous. The Oxford English Dictionary even defines writers as a, quote, person who has written on a particular text, or a, quote, person who writes books, stories, or articles as a job or a regular occupation. And the OED describes an author as a, quote, writer of a book, article, or report. So they are, at least in English, completely interchangeable terms and roles today. So what, then, is a scribe? Isn't a scribe's primary function to write? Doesn't that make them a writer? Well, yes, it's true, a scribe is a writer. But a scribe is not an author. At least, not necessarily. Scribes are copyists. A contemporary equivalent I often think about are court reporters who transcribe spoken proceedings word for word, or more broadly, a town clerk whose jobs often entail copying and transcribing written documents for preservation. A particularly important example today are medical scribes who document a doctor's interactions with patients and gather patients' information. Scribes throughout history are the organizers, whereas authors are the producers of information. You'll frequently find articles claiming that the profession of the scribe lost most, if not all, of its prominence and status with the advent of the printing press. And that is partially true, but of course, from the few examples I've just noted, it is a persistent profession that has lasted through to the contemporary moment. In the Middle Ages, every book was made by hand. Specially trained individuals, who were usually monks, were known as scribes. They had to carefully cut sheets of parchment, make ink, write the script, bind the pages, and create a cover to protect their carefully copied script, as we've discussed in previous episodes. This was all accomplished in a monastic writing room called a scriptorium. A large scriptorium might have even up to 40 scribes working together, all in silence. These textual recreations were often written in special calligraphy, or that is, different decorative scripts, and featured rich illuminations, making the process incredibly time-consuming. Scribes had to be familiar with the technology for writing as well. They had to make sure that the lines were straight and the letters were the same size in each book that they copied. It typically took a scribe 15 months to copy a Bible, for example. Such books were written on parchment or vellum, made from the treated hides of sheep, goat, and calves, as we discussed in our episode on parchment last week. These hides were 
often from the monastery's own animals, as monasteries were self-sufficient in the raising of animals, growing crops, and brewing beer. Although scribes were only able to work in daylight due to the expenses of candles and rather poor lighting that candles provided, monastic scribes were still able to produce three to four pages of work a day. The average scribe could copy two books a year. During the 12th and 13th centuries, copying became more of a specialized activity and was increasingly performed by specialists. To meet the expanding demand, the Pescia system was introduced, in which different parts of the same text were assigned to hired copiers working both in and out of the monasteries. This was especially useful to university students looking to make some extra money on the side, as they could rent a section of a manuscript and copy it out. Being a scribe was an extremely difficult and tedious profession, as the long, slow hours of work I've just described probably indicate. Medieval scribes frequently recorded their feelings about their work, the tools they used, and the conditions under which they copied out texts. The scribes occasionally would jot these remarks down in the margins of their otherwise carefully written manuscripts, Perhaps in the way that a contemporary student might doodle obscenities on the side of a particularly difficult exam. These informal, sometimes witty notes, which we today call marginalia, hint at the joys and miseries of life as a scribe. While a few describe the beauties of nature or a lovely day, many end up enumerating complaints or excuses. So here's a typical example of a short comment uh, from one manuscript that reads simply, quote, a curse on thee, O pen. The historian and professional scribe Timothy O'Neill argues that the best medieval scribes were probably young teenagers. Scribes wrote in bitter cold and searing heat. They worked as long as the light was good enough to see by, and their marginalia, again, are recording their fatigue quite frequently. The work was often so pressing that an abbot might grant permission to skip prayer services so they could continue while the light was still good. Excellent eyesight, usually a trait that disappears with age, was vital to the task. Scribes didn't choose what they wanted to copy. The work consisted of mechanical transcription rather than intellectual exploration, a key difference between the author and the scribe. Scribes were highly meticulous. However, mistakes did happen. Simple misspellings may reflect unfamiliarity with the language the scribe is transcribing, or even just carelessness. More problematically, scribes sometimes corrected the text as they were copying it by replacing a word they found strange or unfamiliar with a similar but incorrect word. So again, these were not intended to be intellectual explorations, but sometimes the scribe couldn't help themselves. They felt they had to insert a new or different word. The worst mistakes were those that resulted in the loss of whole sentences or paragraphs. A copyist might rest for a minute and then, resuming their work, accidentally skip down a few lines from where the text left off. 
This error happens most frequently when the text contains repetitions of a word, making it easy for the scribe to lose track of their place in the text. For example, in the famous Book of Kells, the scribe twice copied out the story of Mary Magdalene anointing Jesus' feet with oil. The excellent, consistent quality of the script in the Kells manuscript demonstrates the accomplishments of the three scribes involved in its manufacture. But one of them still made this rather glaring error. Since we've talked at length about monks, you might be under the impression that only men undertook the career path of the scribe. But this is simply not true. Women also played a role as scribes throughout medieval Europe, as religious women in convents and schools were literate. Excavations at medieval convents in England, for example, have uncovered stelae, indicating that the writing and copying were done at those locations. Also, feminine pronouns are used in prayers and manuscripts from the late 8th century in this area, suggesting that manuscripts were originally written by and for female scribes. Most of the evidence for female scribes in the early Middle Ages in Rome is epigraphic. There have been 11 Latin inscriptions uncovered from Rome that identify women as scribes. In these inscriptions, we meet many different characters, including Hepate, who is known as a shorthand writer of Greek and lived only until the age of 25. We meet Corinna, who was known as a storeroom clerk and scribe. Three women were identified as literary assistants. Their names were Tyche, Herma, and Pleitorai. There are also four women who have been identified by the title of Libreria. Libreria is a term that not only indicates a clerk or secretary, but more specifically a literary copyist. These three women were Magia, Phyra, and Virgilia Euphrosyne. And, even more interestingly, a previously enslaved woman, identified only by her status as a freed woman rather than by her name. To the inscriptions and literary references here, we can add one final piece of Roman period evidence for women being scribes. An early 2nd century marble relief from Rome preserves an illustration of a female scribe. The woman is seated on a chair and appears to be writing on a tablet. There are several hundred woman scribes that have been identified in Germany. These women worked within German convents from the 12th or 13th to the early 16th century. Most of these women can only be identified by their names or initials, by their label as, quote, scriptrix, soror, scriptorix, scriba, or by the colophon. Some of the women scribes can be found through convent documents, such as obituaries, payment records, book inventories, and even narrative biographies of the individual nuns found in convent chronicles and sister books. Many of these women remain unknown and unacknowledged, but they served the intellectual endeavor of preserving and transmitting texts. The books they left their legacies within are usually given to the sister of the convent and were dedicated to the abbess, or given or sold to the surrounding community. There are two obituaries that have been found that date back to the 16th century. Both of the obituaries describe the woman who died as a scriba, 
Women scribes served as the businesswoman of the convent. They produced a large amount of archival and business materials. They recorded the information of the convent in the form of chronicles and obituaries. They were responsible for producing the rules, statutes, and constitution of the order. They also copied a large amount of prayer books and other devotional manuscripts. Authors in the Middle Ages are also often anonymous. An author might even have a scribe working for them, taking dictation or working to copy from an author's notes on a wax tablet. In what is perhaps Chaucer's shortest poem ever, and perhaps one of the most aggressive, dedicated to a man called Adam Screven, the author invokes a curse on the sloppy copyist, writing in the last five lines, under thy long locks thou must have the scale, but after my making right more true, so oft a day I mot thy work renew, it to correct and eke to rub and scrape, and all through thy negligence and rape. Chaucer here curses the scribe with a scalp disease that would produce the same rubbing and scraping that the author must do to repair his defective work. We all hope that Chaucer wrote this as a biblical or literary allegory and not as a direct threat to his own scribe, to whom he must have dictated these very words. Regardless, this aggression toward a scribe actually documents how close the relationship between authors and scribes were in the Middle Ages, at least in the secular world. We will investigate the various genres of secular and religious writing and authorship in future episodes. But for now, I hope it is clear that the profession of the scribe was distinct from, but occasionally interlinked with, authorship. Scribes ensured the orderly transmission of information in a time before printing was available. They organized not only long texts, but also the town documents like obituaries, itineraries, and town chronicles. That's all for this week and I hope you can excuse my terrible Middle English recitation. I am, after all, an art historian. Importantly, just today we have published our latest text manuscript update. Head over to our website, textmanuscripts.com, to see the 31 new manuscripts we have available. You can also watch videos of each manuscript that you find on our website. You can also find some links to resources on scribes in the show notes below. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts about this episode's topic. If you have a question about scribes or authors, manuscript production, or even the relationship between scribes and artistry, you can let us know and find out more about manuscripts and their production, as well as reach out with those comments and questions through our social media at Les Enlumineurs. You can also visit our website or order one of our many catalogs. I look forward to hearing from you, and thanks for listening.